hope everyone's doing okay. Um, we are starting a new series tonight, as uh, we talked about this morning, and as Josh has said. The series is on the uh, Baptist Faith and Message, which is our church's statement of faith. And we pass these out this morning. There's uh, the little ones here. And then um, they don't really print a large print version um, to sell. So we, I, we just printed some off of the computer if you need a larger print. And so we have those that are available today or tonight also. If you, uh, they're passing them out now or they're available in the back as you're, as you're walking out. Um, so make sure you get one of, one of those. Um, yeah. All right. Marshall, I, need, I think I need my gavel. <laughs> Notice. <laughs> all right. Um, so, so what we're going to do tonight, we're, we're starting this new series. It's going to take us uh, all the way through pretty much the end of the year, through the end of November. Um, we are going to have a break in the middle, um, so it's not going to be just all the way straight with nothing else, but there will be a break in the, in, in the summer months. Um, and there's going to be different, different people preaching each one. I feel like I've preached a lot over the last several Wednesday, uh, Sunday nights, um, but we're going to have different people preach um, different sections of the Baptist faith and message. There are... Um, I didn't count how many sections there are, uh, 28, no, 18. If you're good at reading Roman numerals, there are 18 sections. Uh, but some of them we've broken up into, uh, into smaller parts because they have subsections to them. And so different people will be um, helping us to think through those um, as we go along. Um, what I want to do tonight, though, is um, not look at any one individual section, but just think about uh, the place of confessions overall. Okay? And especially in, uh, in Baptist churches, historically there has been a um, uh, kind of mo- a movement among Baptists or a stream of Baptists who have been very cautious of confessions of faith. Um, there, you may have even have heard the phrase before, no creed but the Bible. Right? You, may, you may have heard that. And there have been Baptists that have, that have kind of had that as their, their, uh, their mantra. Their, their motto um, at different times in, in the history of the church. There have been other groups, um, Churches of Christ and other groups that, that still hold to that today. Um, and beyond the fact that just that that is a creed itself, no creed but the Bible is a creed that's not found in the Bible. Um, there also just historically that's not true for Baptists. There have been uh, uh, confessions of, of faith and, and, and creeds and statements of belief have been, uh, have been part and parcel of, of Baptists throughout, throughout Baptist history. Okay, and so we're just going to walk through that just just for a, a few minutes, and then we're going to talk about kind of the scope of of a, of a statement of faith, um, a confession of faith, um, what it does do and, and what it doesn't do, and do we have to be a hundred percent in agreement or, or those kind of things. Um, and then I want to offer, as we get closer to finishing, I want to offer us um, five good things that confessions of faith give us that we wouldn't have without a confession of faith. Okay, so first of all, just kind of thinking historically, um, it's not true that Baptists have not, have not historically had confession of faith. They, they have, and, and, and what we have today is the Baptist Faith and Message, um, and this is actually the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Uh, you may see it written that way sometimes with 2000 in parentheses. You see on, on the front cover of the small version here, um, it says a statement adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention June 14th, um, 2000. And so that's, that's pretty recent. Um, on the, on the large print, it says the Baptist faith and message, and then in smaller print, it says the 2000 Baptist faith and message. 
Um, and so that, that kind of forces us to ask the question, um, have there been other Baptist faith and, and messages? And were there some before 2000 and all of those kind of things? So thinking back historically, um, going all the way back to like the mid-1600s, 1646, there was a Presbyterian confession of faith called the Westminster Confession. Okay, and it was formed by a group of leaders in, in Presbyterian churches in, in England. Um, it's not the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith, it's the Westminster Confession of Faith. And you may have even heard of some Presbyterian churches called Westminster uh, Presbyterian Church, right? You might have heard of the dog show, the Westminster Dog Show, and, and it's because it comes from that area of, of England, historically. Okay, And so the, the, the Westminster Confession was, was put together in 1646, and, and what it was... Um, you know, we don't believe that, that the Baptist faith, the message is our authority. It, it's not our authority. The Baptist faith, the message can be wrong. And we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Our authority is the Bible, right? Our foundation is the Bible. We believe that the Bible is true and whatever it says, we are to follow. We are to believe it and we are to follow it. The confession stands as a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches, okay? A summary of what we believe the Bible teaches. And so the Westminster Confession was a summary of what these Presbyterian churches and Presbyterian leaders believed that the Bible taught. Okay, and that was in 1646. And so several years later, in 1689, there was a, a Baptist confession that was put together by some Baptist leaders that was called the Second London Confession. Okay, there was a First London Confession put together before this, but we're not talking about every individual Baptist confession that would take us all night. The 1689 version, the Second Baptist Confession, uh, the Second London Confession is the more important one historically. And it was basically the same thing as the Westminster Confession that the Presbyterians had, um, but there were modifications and changes, especially along the lines of baptism and the Lord's Supper, especially along the lines of um, what, what makes up a church and how churches function. Um, do we baptize infants? Do we not baptize infants? Thing, things like that. Do we have other, uh, like presbyteries and synods and things above, uh, with authority over churches that are above churches, or, or is each local church autonomous and, and, and those kind of things? And so there were some some changes. Um, and then when Baptists came over to uh, to the New World to to America, uh, some of the more important uh, historically confessions of faith. One was the Philadelphia Confession of Faith. It was put together in, uh, in 1742, and it was a confession of faith in Philadelphia um, for the Philadelphia Confession of, uh, or the Philadelphia um, Association of Baptist Churches. So there were several Baptist churches in that area, and they wanted to associate with one another and, and do certain things together, cooperate with one another. And so they put together this confession, the, the, uh, the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, and it was kind of the standard that those churches would ascribe to. Okay? And the Philadelphia Confession of Faith is, is pretty much identical to the Second London Confession of Faith. It was pretty much the same one that was, uh, that was put together in London. There's, there's maybe one sentence that's different between those two confessions, and it has to do with, with singing hymns during the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and so pretty much identical other than that one sentence. In 1758, uh, there was another confession put together, the Sandy Creek Confession, that was further south uh, in, in, in the early colonies, uh, the Sandy Creek Confession of Faith, and it was the same thing. It was the Sandy Creek Association of Baptist Churches, and so this is the Confession of Faith. This is what we're going to believe together, and if, you, if we want to be in cooperation with one another, then we're going to agree on, on these things, okay? And we'll talk about why that's important a little bit, a little bit later on. Um, later on, in 1833, there was a really important confession uh, put together called the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. 
Okay? And the New Hampshire uh, Confession of Faith became pretty much the standard confession for Baptist churches in America, um, especially Baptist churches that became, the, the, uh, became Southern Baptist churches. That was pretty much the standard for Southern Baptist churches from that point forward. Okay? There, there were a few others. There was the Abstract of Principles uh, was put together in 1858. I really wouldn't even have mentioned that because it's not that important historically. Um, but it is important historically as far as Louisville goes because that was the confession that was written by the, uh, by the founding faculty at Southern Seminary. It's called the Abstract of Principles. It's a, it's a shorter confession, much shorter than today's Baptist Faith and Message. But if you were going to teach and, and be on the faculty of Southern Seminary, you had to agree to what that said. You had to sign that. You had to agree that you believed that, that it said what the Bible says is true. And you had to, in signing your name to it, you were agreeing and, and pledging that you were going to teach your classes according to what that confession said. Um, and so that was the Abstract of Principles. So for, for a long time, though, from 1833 until the early 1900s, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith became kind of the standard. And the reason is because the, uh, the Philadelphia Confession that was based on the London Confession that was based on the Westminster Confession was more Calvinistic, right? And we can, if you don't know what that means, we can talk about Calvinism at some other point, but, it, but, but that confession was more Calvinistic, okay? The Sandy Creek con Confession that was put together in 1758 that confession was more uh, on the Arminian side, okay? And the New Hampshire Confession came, came along, and it was kind of in the middle. You could be a Calvinist, and you could agree to the, to the New Hampshire Confession, and, and you could be more on the Arminian side and agree to the New Hampshire Confession. And so it was kind of a middle-of-the-road confession that, that Baptists could, uh, could kind of agree on and, and, and come together and cooperate together under the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, Okay? The Baptist Faith and Message was put together by the Southern Baptist Convention, um, and there were four different versions of the, the Baptist Faith and Message so far. There was the original was put together in 1925, then there was an update in 1963, and then there was a small change in 1998, and then there was a, a new revision in 2000, okay? Now, the reason that the, the one was put together in 1925 is because in 1920s is when um, Darwinism was, was making headways, and, and especially within, uh, within the church at that point, um, and, and, and changing what some people thought about creation and, and things like that. There was a philosophy called naturalism that, that uh, came to, uh, to be popular and, and kind of denied supernaturalism. And so they, they put together the 1925, the original Baptist Faith and Message, because they still believed what the New Hampshire Baptist Confession said was true, but the, the New Hampshire Confession didn't really address the problems that were coming along from this new worldview, this new philosophy called naturalism. And so in 1925, they, they started with the New Hampshire Confession, and they made some changes to it, made some updates to it, changed some language, added some things to it, um, and that became the, uh, the 1925 Baptist Faith and Message. Okay? And then about 40 years later, in 1963, um, they went, went back and, and made another update to the Baptist Faith and Message. And, and the issue at that point was, um, one of the main issues was Scripture. What is it that we as Southern Baptists believe about Scripture? There was a, um, a famous kind of controversy where there was a guy that was teaching at one of the seminaries. I think it was Southern, but I'm not 100% sure. He wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis. Um, and and he had, he, in that commentary, he had said that he didn't believe everything in the book of Genesis was true. 
And so that became this big controversy. They took that book out of print and had someone else redo, redo that, that, uh, that commentary. Um, but it also caused them to say, you know what, if that guy can fit within the 1925 Baptist faith and message, believe in what he believes, then we need to make it a little bit stricter, right? And so 1963, they revised um, the Baptist faith and message. Then in 1998, they didn't really make a revision. They just added one section to it. They took the 1963 version, and they added the section on the family. There was no section on the family in 1963. In 19, by, by the time 1998 comes along, there were these different attacks on, on the family and, and family values and that kind of thing. And so the Southern Baptist Convention meeting um, in that year said, we need to um, add a statement on what we believe about the family. And so they added that to... Um, to the, the 1963 version, and then in, in 2000, they did this update. They actually started the update in 99, and then it was, uh, it was approved at the 2000 meeting is why it's called the 2000 um, version. And, and after the conservative resurgence um, that, that happened within the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, they, they wanted to be, have stronger language on what we believe about the Bible being, being true, being God's word. Um, there were also some new issues that had not been, in, had not been addressed at all in the 1963 version or the 19. 25 version. Um, inclusivism had become an issue where people were saying that there are multiple ways to get to heaven, not only through Jesus. And so in the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message, there's a stronger um, explanation that we have to believe in Jesus. Salvation is only through, through Jesus. Um, they, add, they, they added the family section that, that came along in 98. Um, they, there's some comments in, in the 2000 version about gender. That, that wasn't really needed in, in 1925 or 1963. There were things that people were beginning to debate and beginning to deny in 2000 that no one had ever denied before. And so they said, let's, when we update this, let's, let's add some things about, about these issues. Um, sexual immorality, there, there were some things about that. Adultery, was some, there were some things added about that. Homosexuality, pornography, abortion, and, and there were other issues like that. So the 2000 version is not different from the other versions, and it's not, it's not that, that we changed what we believe with each of these revisions, it's just that there were new issues to be faced and new issues to be addressed, and so we had to, in 2000, they decided to uh, revise the statement to make it address things that were current that, that, weren't, um, that weren't a problem before, okay? So that's kind of the, the history behind the Baptist Faith and Message, how we got it. Um, so the next question is, how do we use it? Um, if this is our, our statement of faith for our church, um, this is the statement of faith, by the way, that all the seminaries use, um, that the International Mission Board uses, the, National, uh, the North American Mission Board uses it. So when we support these different entities, um, this, is, this is what they're saying they're going to teach. When the international missionaries go overseas with the IMB, this is what they're going to be teaching, and this is the kind of churches they're going to be they're going to be starting. When North American missionaries uh, plant churches here in North America, these are the types of churches that they're going to be starting. And so we can feel good about giving money to those, um, to those agencies and, and cooperating with them. Um, but the question comes up, do we have to believe everything that's in the Baptist faith and message? And can we disagree on anything at all? Or do we have to be 100% word for word, we all agree with each other? And the answer to that is, is that we don't have to agree totally. We don't have to agree totally with one another. There's room within the church. There's room within Christianity for disagreement, for discussions about what the Bible means when it says certain things. We can, we can have disagreements about that, and, and that's okay. Um, every, every one of us, and, and I, I, I'm sure it's true, every one of us believes more than what the Baptist faith and message says, um, but the issue is we shouldn't believe less than what it says, right? We can, we can believe what this says. Now, we might go farther than what this says, 
right? So there's a statement in here uh, about what happens when Jesus comes back, about the end times. And there's certain things in here. The Baptist faith, the message doesn't say whether uh, Jesus is going to come back before the thousand years or whether he's going to come back after the thousand years or whether he's going to come, whether there's even is a thousand years reign of Christ, right? And so we can have disagreements on those kind of things. But the Baptist faith, the message says that Jesus is going to come back. And so we should all believe that. We can disagree on how it's going to happen. We can even not even know how it's going to happen. We can say, you know, I don't, I don't know what, how that's going to work out. It's going to work out. Um, but the Baptist faith of message is, is kind of the, the, the minimum. Sometimes we talked about a, a term called theological triage here at, at our church before. And if, you, if you're familiar with like how an how a emergency room works, a triage nurse is the one that when you come in, um, she, the triage nurse is the one that decides whether, uh, how, kind of how serious your, your condition is, right? If, if you come in with a broken arm and someone else comes in an hour later with a heart attack, well, the person with the heart attack is going to be seen before you are with a broken arm, even though you got there first, because the triage nurse puts you into kind of three categories, most, most important, pretty important, and, and not that important, right? And, and we, can talk, we, we can think about um, doctrinal beliefs that way, theology that way as well. And so there's certain things where these are kind of first level, highest level kind of things where if we disagree about these things, then, then one of us is not a Christian, Right? Um, if, we, if I believe that Jesus is God and you believe that Jesus is not God, well, those, whatever we believe, those are two different religions, right? Whichever one you want to call Christianity, we're not the same on that, right? And, and there are things like that that we put in that first category where if you deny this, then we're going to say that that's a different religion, okay? But then there are also things in, uh, in a second category where we're going to say, you know what? Um, I'm not going to say that you're, that you're not a believer if you disagree with me on this. But there's, there's a serious enough issue here that we can't really be part of the same church together, okay? So, for example, the, one of the examples I always give for this is I, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. And my mom and dad are, are, are members of the Presbyterian church now. My dad's an elder there. My mom uh, is, is, uh, teaches Sunday school there. She is retired preschool director of, of their preschool. Um, and, and they serve there. And when I go home to visit them in Tennessee with, at, at Christmas or, or other times during the year, I attend church with them, and I like to attend the church there. I learned a lot growing up in that church, and um, a, a lot of those people are gone now, but I still uh, treasure and, and, and love those people and, and love the, the heritage that I picked up from there and the things that I learned from there. Uh, when my mom and dad come into town, oftentimes they'll come and visit church here. They were here just a few weeks ago when they were in town, um, and they come and they worship with us, and, and, and I think they're believers, and they think I'm a believer. Um, but if I were to move back to Tennessee for some reason or if they were to move up here for some reason, I couldn't become a member of their church, and they couldn't become a member here, because I believe that, for one thing, I believe that only believers should be baptized, and my mom and dad believe the Bible teaches that believers and their children and their infant children should be baptized, because that's what Presbyterians believe, right? And so I think my mom and dad are believers, and they think I'm a believer, and we can do some things together, um, but we can't be part of the same church, right? Um, another issue would be like church government. Are we going to have... Um, are we going to have uh, our church and then a presbytery above the church that kind of tells the church what to do and then a synod above the presbytery that tells the, the presbytery what to do and then a general assembly above all that that tells everybody what to do? Or are we going to have individual churches that make their own decisions and do what they think is right according to the Bible and the leading of the Holy Spirit? Right? Those, are, those are two different things that we really can't reconcile together. If, if we become part of the same church, either we're going to have a hierarchy above us or we're not. If we become part of the church, either we're going to baptize infants that haven't believed yet or, or we're not. 
And, and so that, that creates a, a difference where I believe they're believers, they believe I'm a believer, but we can't be part of the same church. And then there are third level issues where these are things where we would say, you know what, uh, we can disagree about these things. I can try to convince you that what I believe is right. You can try to convince me that what you believe is right. We can look at the Bible together and, and try to figure out what it says. But at the end of the day, we can still come to disagreements and still be part of the same church. And so this would be things like I was talking about before, like, like uh, the end times. We can disagree about the details of how Jesus is going to come back as long as we all believe he's going to come back, right? We can disagree about how, um, how God's sovereignty and human freedom, human responsibility, we can disagree about how those things fit together, Calvinism and, and, and Arminianism. We can disagree about how those things fit together as long as we all believe that God is sovereign and people are responsible before him, right? And we can have some disagreements like that and still be part of, of the same church. And so the Baptist faith, the message is not something where we necessarily have to get into a big argument about it. We all believe more than what it says, but this is kind of the, uh, the, the common denominator that we're all saying, we're going to unite around this, okay? So that's kind of the history of, of the Baptist faith, the message, kind of the scope of how we, how we use it. And so now in, in the last few minutes that we have left, um, quickly, I want to offer um, five things that a confession of faith gives us that we wouldn't have if we didn't have a confession of faith, okay? First of all, uh, a confession of faith gives us an identity as a church. A confession of faith gives us an identity as a church. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, uh, Paul's talking about the, the gathering of believers, and he says, uh, he says, which is the church of, uh, of the living God, and he says that the church of the living God is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Part of, part of what a church does is we hold up the truth, right? A pillar that the truth sits on, a buttress that, that holds up the truth for the world to see. And, and what a confession of faith does is it gives us a summary of that truth that we're holding up. It gives us a summary of that truth that we hold up. We, it states plainly for everybody to see what it is that we think the Bible says, right? Everybody says, every Christian, every denomination says, if you ask them, what do you believe? Every single person says, we believe the Bible right? But there, but there are lots of differences about what people believe the Bible says. And so a confession of faith gives us a good summary of what we believe the Bible teaches, what we believe the Bible says. Um, there's, a, there's a book here that I want to read uh, a paragraph out of. This, this author is talking in this chapter, uh, he's actually talking about church discipline, but listen to what he says. He says, one of the most glaring omissions in modern Baptist church life is the regular practice of biblical church discipline. Okay, And then he says, the demise of this practice may well rest in the fact that, now listen to this, by and large, contemporary Baptists have not been taught or do not understand the concept of a New Testament church. He says, the majority of Baptist churches today do not perceive themselves, do not understand themselves as believers joined together by the bond of the Spirit and associated by a covenant and a shared confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a common fellowship of the gospel. Instead, he said, contemporary Baptists seem instead to understand themselves as autonomous individuals casually associated together in loose-knit groupings called churches. The concept of a spiritual accountability to God and to one another is lacking or ignored. Oftentimes, we think of ourselves as consumers and, and the church as a good or a provider of goods. And, and as a consumer, each one of us individually has a right to decide what we want and what we think is best. And if you're not meeting my needs, then I'm going to move on to a different place that will meet my needs better. And, and that's wrong. 
That, that's not what church membership is. Church membership is saying, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit myself to you, and I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to me, and we're going to commit ourselves together to what we believe the Bible says. Right? And, and we do that in our church covenant. We do that in, a, in our confession of faith. And even if, even if there's something happening that, that makes me upset, even if there's something happening that I'm not particularly, that I don't particularly like, it's not what I would do or the decision I would make or the music I would play or the types of sermons I would preach or, or whatever, that's okay. I'm going to stick with it because I've made a commitment to you and you've made a commitment to me, just like a real family is, right? You don't, you don't leave a family because you don't get specific needs met, Right? There are times to leave a family. There are times when, when, when those kind of divisions happen, and there are times when, when, when it's right to leave a church. But those times are very serious, and, and those situations are very serious. right? We've committed ourselves to one another, and a confession of faith helps us to do that. The confession of faith helps us to do that. In fact, our, our, um, our church covenant, when you become a member of our church, when we become members here, the seventh statement in our church covenant says, we will strive to learn, support, and promote the church's doctrine. We will also submit to the discipline of the church and its leadership. We'll come to that last part here in a few minutes. But one of the things that we do as, as church members is we strive to learn, support, and promote the church's doctrine. And the confession of faith is what, is, is what that is. So the first thing a confession gives us is an identity as, as a church. A second thing that, that, that a confession gives us is uh, confessions give churches a way to hold their pastors and leaders accountable. Confession gives us a way to hold our pastors and other leaders accountable. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, uh, Paul says this about elders. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Talking about deacons in 1 Timothy 3, 9, Paul says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Well, what is the mystery of the faith? What is the trustworthy word that's been taught? Well, as Baptists and as, as First Baptist Church Fairdale, we have declared that this is what we believe the mystery of the faith is. This is a summary of what we believe is in the Bible. This is a summary of the word that's been taught. And so having a confession of faith as a church um, gives us a tool that we can use to hold our pastors and, and leaders accountable. We should follow our pastors. We should follow our leaders. The Bible says that. The Bible makes that clear. We should follow our pastors and we should follow our leaders, but we shouldn't follow them blindly, right? We shouldn't follow them off a cliff. We shouldn't follow them into danger. We shouldn't follow them into error. And, and we as Baptists believe that more than, more than other believers do because we believe in, the, uh, in, in, uh, in congregational church government where the congregation has the final authority, not a pastor, not other leaders. They have authority, but the congregation has the final authority. And so a confession of faith gives us a way to hold our pastors and leaders accountable. Um, potential pastors or leaders should be forthcoming in what they believe. Churches should test them according to what the Bible says. Whenever we consider new pastors for our church, whenever we consider new, new deacons for our church, one of the questions that we ask, I'm usually the one that, that asks it, one of the questions that always get asked in those interviews is, are you familiar with the Baptist faith of message? And is there anything in the Baptist faith of message that you have a problem affirming? That's one of the questions we ask, because that is the confession of faith that our church has. And if you're going to be a leader here, a pastor here, a servant here, then, then we should expect one another to follow along with what our church believes. Okay? Um, it, it, a, a confession of faith also is, um, 
it, it helps us to, to make sure that future pastors, future leaders are going to follow along with what we have believed also. It makes it harder for a future pastor, future leader to come in and change what we've believed, right? Now, there can be times in the future because, like I said before, this is not our authority. The Baptist Faith and Message or any other confession is not our authority. The Bible is our authority. And so there could be times where something we believe needs to be changed because we might discover at some point that something in here doesn't line up with what the Bible says, right? And so there might come a time in the future where we need to change what we believe. But that should not be, uh, that should not be an easy process. It shouldn't be a simple process to the point to where just er every time you want to, it, it can be changed. It should be a, a process that's deliberate, that's thought through, that's, that's, done, um, that's done on purpose, done with thought behind it. And so having a confession of faith um, protects us from uh, just the, the whim of any leader that might come into the future and want to change what it is that, that we think or that we believe. It also helps us to, to worship rightly. It, 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 uh, it holds our leaders and our pastors accountable in the way that they lead us in, in worship. We should, we should preach what we believe, and we should sing what we believe, and we should confess what we believe, and we should teach and pray and live what we believe. And so a confession of faith helps us to hold our leaders and, our, and, and our, uh, our pastors and other leaders accountable. Thirdly, um, a confession gives us guidelines to use when cooperating with other churches. A confession gives us guidelines to use when cooperating with other churches. So I've already mentioned the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board that we support, the seminaries that we support. Um, the Baptist Faith and Message is, is, what they, uh, is their statement of faith that they hold themselves to. And so we can feel good about supporting those ministries because we know that they're teaching the same things that, that we believe. We're, we're pooling our money with other Southern Baptist churches to train pastors, right? And, and we can be confident because the different seminaries that we support subscribe to the Baptist Faith and Message, we can be confident that those pastors in those seminaries are being taught what we believe the Bible teaches. It also helps us, though, um, to, to decide whether we're going to cooperate or not with other churches on, on mission trips, for example. Right? There might be a mission trip where we're going to go. Uh, so we do, we do mission trips to Ecuador, right? And, and when we're in Ecuador, there are other churches that are there the same time as we are. And so we're cooperating with those churches. And we're doing vacation Bible schools, and we're doing youth camps and children's camps and, and, and those kind of things, right? And there's some of those things where we can cooperate with churches that are, that are different than us. We can teach a, a vacation Bible school with a church that's a little bit different than us. It's not exactly 100% on, on the same page as us, right? We could even probably go and, and do a mission trip with the Presbyterian Church and teach a vacation Bible school with the Presbyterian Church. As long as we're not teaching about baptism or, or something like that where we disagree, we could stick to the things that we agree on and we could, we could do a mission trip like that, right? But we couldn't do a mission trip with the, with the Presbyterian Church or Methodist Church or, or, or whatever if it was going to be a mission trip where we're planting churches, right? Because what kind of churches are we going to plant? Are we going to plant Baptist churches or are we going to plant Presbyterian churches? Because they're different. Right? And so the, the, the confession of faith gives us a tool that we could use, um, a guideline that we can use when we're deciding whether to cooperate with other churches or not. Even locally, even, even locally. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, but for, for lots and lots and lots of years, we supported the Fairdale Area Community Ministries. And other churches in this area supported the Fairdale Area Community Ministries also, right? And we could do that with some churches that we had some pretty major disagreements with. We could, we could partner with the Catholic Church with St. Jerome, uh, Blessed Mother of Calcutta, whatever it is now. Um, we, we could partner with that church in the Fairdale Area Community Ministries because there wasn't a teaching ministry there. It was helping people get money for electricity and water bills and, and, and medicine and, and those, and then we could partner with that, right? 
But there came a time where we were thinking about it and we decided, you know what? We can't really partner with, with, with the Catholic Church or, or some other churches. We can't partner with them for an Easter sunrise service. And so we decided to have our own Easter sunrise service because if it's going to be a worship service, especially a teaching service, well, we don't believe the same things that they believe. And so they're going to be teaching something that, that we don't want to be taught. We don't want to endorse that because we don't think it's true. And so a, a confession, if we have a confession, we say, this is what we believe, and they have a confession, they say, this is what we believe, and we compare those two, those can, can be tools, those can be guidelines that help us to decide whether we're going to cooperate with, with other churches and, and, and how we're going to cooperate with them, okay? Fourthly, uh, confessions give us a way to connect with, with past and contemporary believers in churches. They give us a way to connect with past and contemporary believers in churches, so a confession of faith like the Baptist Faith the Message reminds us that we're not the only believers in the world, right? There, there are other people who believe the same thing that we do. There are other people that, that we have fellowship with. There are other people in the world that, that, that are, that are uh, preaching the same message that we're preaching and are holding to the same truth that, that we're holding. This is a historic confession going all the way back to the 1600s and, and even further than that, really. This is a historic confession based on historic beliefs shared by other believers in different times, in different places, in different contexts. And, and, and so we're reminding ourselves that, that we're not in this by ourselves. We're, we're united to other people. Fifthly, uh, and, and finally, um, a, a confession gives us a standard for church discipline. Okay? A confession gives us a standard for church discipline. And church discipline is not necessarily something that we like to talk about a whole lot, but it is something that's, that's needed for healthy churches. And it's something that's good for healthy churches, and it's something that's good for church members. It's, it's good for us to be held accountable to one another. It, it really is. And, and so our church covenant, I've already read it, but number, number seven on our church covenant says, we will strive to learn, support, and promote the church's doctrine. We will also submit to the discipline of the church and its leadership. Well, how do we know when someone has gone astray to the point that discipline's in order? Well, this is not the only way, but this is one of the ways, right? If we have a Sunday school teacher who's volunteering to teach Sunday school, and they're teaching something wildly different than what our confession of faith says, we're probably going to have to have a conversation with that person and say, hey, you, you can't be doing that. That's going outside of what we have confessed to believe together, right? If we have someone in our church who's living a life um, that is... Uh, not in accordance with what the, our confession says the way that we should live and not in accordance with how we think the Bible says that, that we should live, well, we probably need to have a conversation about that, right? And so it, it helps us. It, it, it is a guide to us for, uh, or a standard for church discipline, okay? That brings up a final question. Do we have to be in full agreement with the Baptist faith and message to be a member here? Do we have to be a, in, in full agreement with it to be a member here? And I'll, and I'll answer that. I'll say yes and no. For sure, to be, to be someone in leadership here, we should want them to be in full agreement with the Baptist faith and message, right? To be a pastor here, to be a deacon here, to be a Sunday school teacher here, to be um, uh, any other kind of ministry leader here, youth ministry, children's ministry, whatever, we, we should want to, to be in agreement with the Baptist faith and message. But what about, uh, uh, what about like a brand new believer? Because the Baptist faith, the message, we're going to see as we go through it here the next several weeks, there's some, there's some pretty deep stuff there. Talk about the Trinity, right? Well, if, should we expect a new believer who just got baptized yesterday and just repented of their sins the night before, should, should we expect a new believer to understand the Trinity and, and ascribe to what the Baptist faith, the message says about the Trinity in full? Well, I think this is helpful. This is from a, a Baptist named Andrew Fuller. 
And, and he, he wrote this, kind of answering that question. He says, if a religious community or a church agrees to specify some leading principles which they consider as derived from the word of God and judge the belief of them to be necessary in order to any person's becoming or continue a member with them, it does not follow that those principles should be equally understood or that all their brothers must have the same degree of knowledge, nor yet that they should understand and believe nothing else. That's a lot, right? And especially it's a lot if you're listening to it and not reading it yourself. So here's what he's saying. If we have a, a, a statement of faith and we expect new members of our church, all the members of our church to believe and, and confess and ascribe to what the confession of faith says, we shouldn't necessarily expect everyone to have the same level of understanding of what it says, right? We shouldn't expect everyone to have the same level of understanding. He says the powers and capacities, abilities of different persons are various. One may comprehend more of the same truth than another and have his views more enlarged by an exceedingly great variety of, of kindred ideas. And yet the substance of their belief may still be the same. The object of the articles is to keep at a distance, not those who are weak in the faith, but such as are his avowed enemies. So, just, so, so someone who's a new believer, we're going to ask them to, to believe this, the, the Baptist faith the message, but they may not understand exactly what all it says as much as someone who's been a believer for 30, 40, 50 years has, right? They're going to believe, yeah, okay, I, I believe in the Trinity. I believe that, that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But they haven't had enough time to think through all the implications of that, right? That someone who's been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years might have. And so we're going to be gracious toward one another. And we're going to be lenient toward one another. And we're going to understand those kind of things, right? So a confession of faith gives us Five things, at least, that we wouldn't have without it. It gives us an identity as a church. It gives us a way to hold our pastors and leaders accountable. It gives us guidelines to use when cooperating with other churches. It gives us a way to connect with past and contemporary believers and churches. And it gives us a standard for church discipline. Okay? Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at, at, at all the details of the confession, and hopefully it'll be um, beneficial to, to all of us I trust that it will be, um, and so I'm, I invite you and encourage you to, to make an effort to be at, at as many of those as you're able to. As we close tonight, I want to uh, read uh, just a couple of verses from the book of Jude and consider what Jude um, says here. It's at the beginning of his letter. He says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They're ungodly, turning the grace of our God into, the promiscu into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Jude says he wanted to write to the church and, and, and encourage them about the salvation that they share. He says, but I, I, I found myself not able to do that. Instead, I had to encourage you to contend for the faith because I realized that I'd learned that there were some people who had come into your church who were teaching different than what we had taught you. And so I had to instead encourage you to hold fast to what we've believed, right? And so let us be a church that holds fast to what the Bible teaches um, and let us use our confession as a tool to help us summarize what we believe the Bible teaches. Maybe we'll be faithful and, and, um, and, and, and bold to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much tonight that you are our God. God, we thank you that you have saved us. God, we confess right now that, um, that, that, that nothing but your... Uh, grace toward us and the blood of, of our Savior Jesus is the ground of our salvation. 
Father, we can have all the doctrine right. We can have every, every little belief that, that the Bible teaches. We can know it by heart and, and be able to quote it and explain it and, and, and teach it at a, at, a, at a college or seminary level even. God, none of that is what saves us. And yet, Father, we also believe that what we believe matters. And what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says matters. And so I pray that you'd help us to be faithful in studying it, faithful in knowing it. Um, and God, I pray you'd help us to be faithful in living it out among one another and, and, and among our, uh, our world. God, we thank you for, uh, for the truth that is taught in your word of the gospel, that those who repent of their sins and believe in the salvation that Jesus provides will be saved, will be forgiven. Father, that's our hope. That's our truth. That's our foundation. And we thank you for it. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.